0: Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. I'm your host, Zach Geist. This show is made possible by Student Loan Tutor, which you can find at studentloantutor.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment and give us a review. Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. Uh, today, I've got uh, my guest here is uh, Robert Wagoner, uh, who I, w- I am I imagine in my own mind to be. Uh, a dream warrior of sorts. Uh, I just talked to him a few days ago and, uh, he had recommended a book called Journey to Ixlan, uh, by Carlos Castaneda, where Don Juan talks about, uh, the warrior and, uh, and dreaming. And I said, wow, you know, I guess Robert's really a dream warrior. And, uh, Yeah, so I have him today. He's the author of uh, Lucid Dreaming, Gateways to the Inner Self, and Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple, I believe, and as well as uh, the Lucid Dreaming magazine that's been running for many, many, many years, quarterly, and uh, is one of the pioneers of lucid dreaming in the Western world. And he stumbled upon this, I believe, by a reading journey to Ixlan sometime in the 70s before he even knew that lucid dreaming was... Uh, a possible thing, that it wasn't just, you know, you imagine that you were aware in a dream. And uh, the goal today is to go really deep with Robert. We spoke for almost an hour the last time, the the first and only time we've spoken, and it went really deep. And uh, that's the intention for this episode. So uh, good afternoon, Robert.
1: Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation, Zach.
0: Thank you for coming on the show. Um, I, I was. I often prepare for uh, you know podcast episodes in, uh, in in different ways. And being that I've been on the topic of dreams with a lot of my most recent episodes, uh, it all started from. Uh, it really, truly, all started with Madeline having a lucid dream when we went to Kauai almost two years ago, and uh, I thought, there's no way I'm gonna let. Like her start to lucid dream and not be able to keep up and not be able to have lucid dreams also. Because I've heard about them and I've tried to have them. And I vaguely remembered having lucid dreams when I was a kid, but I wasn't sure uh, that I, for sure, in fact, had them. I was like, maybe I just imagined having them. But I thought I had quite a few lucid dreams as a kid, but wasn't exactly sure. So when she had a lucid dream, immediately I felt this pull. I need to have uh, lucid dreams. And so I went online on Amazon and I bought David J. Brown's book, uh, Dreaming Wide Awake, which was really kind of met me where I was at the time, which was, you know, working with some microdosing on psychedelics and some trauma therapy with psychedelic medicine and psychiatrists working with trauma therapy. And I thought, wow, this will be great. And uh, read it and. You know, and as as you could imagine, lucid dreamed right away. No, not at all. I spent like probably six months, no lucid dreams at all. And then I, I David J. Brown was one of my first guests on the podcast and I reached out to him. And I said, Hey, do you want to be on the podcast? And it was almost what you had said that sometimes you, uh, fears, not fears, not the right word, but it's struggling when you have a, uh, on a, on a, on a podcast where the person hasn't lucid dreamed before. And then I'm like, gosh, I'm going to have this conversation. It's going to be all about. Uh, thinking that I lucid dreamed as a kid, but I read your book and I can't lucid dream. And I I, I was so worried about it. And then that night before that episode, uh, I just reminded him, Hey, we've got the episode coming up tomorrow. That night I had the first lucid dream that I could remember as an adult. And I was so excited in the dream, but I I, I got nervous because I thought I was on MDMA. And then the minute I thought that the police came and then I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not lucid dreaming. I'm on MDMA. I'm going to get arrested for being on MDMA while driving. And and then I woke up and I'm like, yes, yes, I had a lucid dream. I'm going to tell David Brown all about David, J. Brown, all about this. And I open up my phone. Cause I do the voice recording memo and I'm like, and I'm okay. I'm going to do this. Okay. Oh, what the hell? It's not working right. And then like, and like, I'm like, I lucid dreamed. And as I say that, the like, congratulations, like, you know, when you put congrats in Facebook, it shoots out all the confetti and things. And I'm like, what the heck? It just responds to my voice. And then I'm like, wait a second, I'm still dreaming. And then I wake up again. So, uh, So uh, I I prepared for this one, Robert, and I had a I ended up having a lucid dream. I woke up at 4.30 in the morning, like wide awake, and I'm like, gosh, I don't wanna be wide awake right now. I've got so many things to do today. And I'm like, well, I'm wide awake. I'm gonna look at my hands, like uh, it says in <laughs> like it says in that book, Journey to Ixlan. And I'm looking at my hands, and I'm listening to the book, and I'm just thinking in my head, I'm like, when I, it calmly, like when I, when I see my hands again, I'm gonna realize that I'm dreaming. And I've done that before, and it hasn't worked for me. And then I'm like, I go back to sleep and it's been two weeks since my last lucid dream. And I'm like, and my incubation, which we'll get to what all these things mean is like to really lead this podcast episode in the right way. And so I'm like, I'm going to figure out what should we go over with Robert? So I, I go back to sleep. And I find myself jumping on a bed and finding a room in my house that was on an upper floor that I didn't know was there. And I'm looking out the window from standing on this bed and I see uh, a vanity mirror that my grandmother had when I was a kid. And I'm like, gosh, that's so weird that there's this room that I didn't know was here in my house. that's nicer than the room I have. Plus my grandmother's vanity mirrors here. This is bizarre. And as I look at it, I could like see in the reflection of the mirror and looking down my hands. And I'm like, and then the minute I see my hands, like that thing that I've said over and over to myself, next time I see my hands, I'm going to know I'm dreaming. That like thought goes through my head. Next time I see my hands, I'm going to know I'm dreaming. I'm like, wait a second. I'm dreaming. And, and so I'm like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? You know, here I am kind of like a, you know, I've had quite a few lucid dreams, but I'm still kind of like a, like the freshman kid, you know, getting into foreplay about to have intercourse, but not knowing what, like fumbling around. And I'm like, okay, look at my hands and look at something else. Like Carlos Castaneda. Wait, I'm getting really excited. Okay. Claire says the clear technique, calm down, calm down. Okay. I'm calming down. I'm calming down. Okay. I'm supposed to ask the dream a question to prepare for the podcast. That's what I'm supposed to do. Wait, I'm getting, too excited again. I gotta calm down. Wait, look at my hands. Look away. Look at my hands. Look away. And I'm like, shit, I just lost the dream. Cause <laughs> the whole dream collapsed. And I'm like, am I awake? Am I lying in bed with my eyes closed? But I'm awake? Wait, should I open my eyes? But if I open my eyes, will I open my eyes in the dream or will I open my eyes for real and wake up? But wait, if I'm if I'm really asleep, then like it won't matter because I'll open my eyes in the dream. And then next, and I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to imagine where I was before, and I'm gonna go back there. That's what I'm gonna do. And I'm like, wait, there's Robert. Hey, Robert, man, I just fucked up my dream. I was looking at my hands and looking away. I don't know. I don't know what. And and just like I'm doing right now, I just talk the whole fucking time, and I don't let you say a damn thing to me. And then, (laughs) and then you like make some face, kind of like this, and then I wake up again.
1: (laughs) Interview over. Yeah.
0: I swear, there's a guest on this show.
1: <laughs> uh. No, that's great. You, you know, I, I love how you saw the uh, reflection of your hands in Grandma's vanity mirror. That that's kind of that's kind of trippy, just right there. But uh, but yeah, that's how I taught myself how to lucid dream. Is back in 1975, I was a junior in high school, reading Carlos Castaneda's Journey to Xelien. There's this part where Don Juan the shamanic teacher tells him to find his hands in the dream and realize he's dreaming but there's not really a technique so every night before I'd go to sleep I would just look at my hands telling myself tonight my dreams I'm gonna see my hands and realize I'm dreaming tonight my dreams I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming and on the third night it worked walking through the hallway boom hands pop right in front of my face and i knew i was dreaming yeah
0: they just like jumped in front of your face right like just on their own <laughs> yeah, like like they were they cousin, were it, right there. cousin it from adam's <laughs> family <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so anyway so that's that's great you had a, a lucid dream last night the super
0: yeah I, I hope that this helps the direction of of the episode and and i think maybe it will uh because when i woke up you know, part of my ritual is to write down my dreams, which sometimes they're becoming like a chore, you know? And, and, you know, there's sometimes I'm like, shit, I had, you know, I had five dreams, like, oh, it's going to take like an hour and a half, you know, it's like data entry or something. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's dream residue, I think, or maybe it's this, should I like interpret it this way? And Robert Johnson would say that. And Carl Jung would say this and mythologically it could be that. And like, you know, and I'm like, uh, You know, and I I guess I I feel kind of torn. You know, I went from not dream journaling at all to dream journaling, but struggling to remember to like dream journaling with tons of vividness to like, holy shit, I could spend all day dream journaling some nights. Like if I'm really going to go into all the details, the tree looked like this and the wind blew. And then I thought this thing. And I'm like, do I write those down? Do I not write those down? You know, because if I, if it becomes too much, a lot of people, I think when they hear about dream journaling or lucid dreaming, sometimes they worry that's like, shit, this is a lot of work. I'm already working so much in my my waking life, like I don't want to be working in my dreams. Like I want to just relax. People are exhausted, but at the same time, some of the times I've woken up the most invigorated, you know, has been from a lucid dream, which is counterintuitive. Here I am aware in my dream. I could quote unquote control not all of my dream, but many aspects of my dream, which you'd think would make me more tired, but paradoxically, actually feel more energized. I don't know if you want to touch on that. Maybe like people probably come to you with this a lot.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, so, so we do when we normally have a lucid dream, we wake up with a lucid afterglow. We, we feel empowered, energized, just blown away. Sometimes that can go on for days. But this issue of developing our dream recall to the point where, it's, where you can just recall so many incredible details, what I encourage people, if they get to that point and it's starting to bum them out and they don't have the time, they should announce before they go to sleep, tonight I'll remember the most important dream of the night or the most significant dream of the night. So then normally in the morning you just have one dream and you go, oh wow, look at all the stuff that happened here. And and then you can write that down in 10 minutes and be on on your way. Some people of course get uh, voice recording apps and so they wake up the first thing in the morning and they just start vocalizing the dreams as they're making oatmeal or uh, making coffee and and do it like that but yeah it, it can't be quite something when you develop that dream recall muscle
0: especially if you're an achiever Cause then you'll do all of them, you know, like I record them in the middle of the night. I tried to like find a, like a button pressed like recorder. So I don't have to like turn on my phone and could do it from a distance. I bought multiple, vo- I, I tried the voice recording thing that like picks up the sound in the room. But the challenge is, is that I've got dogs and like, we live on an off grid farm. So like, you'll hear like a, like a horse in the middle of the night. <laughs> and you're like, darn it. Then it, re- it keeps recording. Then it'll like record like small noises. So I'm like shuffling through. I'm like, ah, I'm you know, man, I was snoring last night or Madeline was. I'm like, ah, I can't I can't listen to this. <laughs> so I, this is a huge insight for me even. Like I've heard this said before, is to ask your dream to remember the most important dream as opposed to like remembering... See, again, with this achiever mindset, I always think more is better. You know, like, like if I, you know, I hear you have six to eight dreams a night, I want to remember all of the dreams, you know? But then it's like, oh gosh, you know, now it's like an hour and a half in the morning. And it's like, you know, at least... I'm I have some privilege in the sense that I could spend that time, but a lot of people don't and They'll throw the baby out with the bathwater. And in some ways, all you had was Carlos Castaneda, Don Juan saying to Carlos Castaneda, look at your hands and then in your dream, find your hands. You know, you're dreaming and like, what what we ran into with my with my dream last night? Because I said, "Hey, how can we? How can this lead the podcast?" <laughs> Is that all of these techniques were flowing through? I'm like, "Okay, I could ask the dream any question I want. I could look at my hands. I could look at my hands. Look at my hands. Look away. Like, oh, calm down. I'm relaxed. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Okay, ask the dream a question. You know, there was like almost too many things. You know, like uh, too many things going on and figuring out. You know, it's like I I went to uh, I was going to say Sears, but I don't know if you could even go to Sears due to COVID and that going out of business, but it's like, I went to the store and bought the biggest tool set imaginable and I'm like, more tools are better. And then here I am. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with all these tools. You know, like,
1: (laughs) yeah, that's the problem with potential, uh, in the lucid dream, you're kind of in an open platform where anything is possible. And sometimes it's kind of a mind trip to, Imagine all the possibilities um, instead of just settling on one and, and going for what uh, grabs your attention at that moment. But no, it's a beautiful lucid dream,
0: Robert. What I find so cool, and by the way, I love your book. Uh, I love the book Journey Journey to the Inner uh, Journey to the Inner Self, Lucid Dreaming Journey to the, yeah. to the Inner Self was absolutely to the Inner Self. Huh? What is it? Yeah gateway to the inner self. self. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I think I'm mixing up journey to Ixlan that I'm, that I'm listening to right right now. But, uh, you know, and maybe this is a good point to talk about journeys because in the, probably a lot of people that listen to me, uh, like hear this term journey a lot, like ayahuasca journey, mushroom journey, mescaline journey, or, you know, ecstatic dance journey or sound journey or healing journey, or this idea of this journey uh you know the hero's journey and joseph campbell and um surprisingly in this culture that i that i think a lot of people would refer to as new age uh lucid dreaming is not super prevalent uh it's uh, and and I think maybe you and I touched on this in the conversation before. And I've experienced with plant medicines, especially iboga was like the one that really helped me a lot with healing. And ayahuasca is what's called a. Uh, I did I interviewed Trisha recently. She's an iboga shaman, and uh, I don't know if she would call herself that, but I I, I refer to her as that. Uh, is it's an oniophrenic or an onirogen, which means dream maker. And it felt so much different than any other, quote unquote, psychedelic that I've done. And I've never done psychedelics for fun because these things, I have a lot of trauma in my past and psychedelics tend to bring those up to be healed. And in the process of being healed, it's generally pretty terrifying. Uh, So I've never done them, you know, casually. Uh, It's even if I do a microdose, sometimes my body will go into spasms and I feel like I'm dying sometimes. And... I didn't experience that same harshness with lucid dreaming. It seems to be pretty gentle and pretty, like, I mean, graceful, you know, like as in grace from the divine or grace from the mystery. It seems to be very gentle relative to that. I don't know if you want to touch on what have you noticed between psychedelics and lucid dreaming. I mean, if you were to look at, I think if people are imagining what a one of the you know, kind of pioneers of lucid dreaming looks like and what their history is, they're probably not picturing your history or picturing or could pick you out of a crowd of expert dream warriors, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, for me, uh, the, the journey aspect is one thing that a lot of lucid dreamers don't realize until like year three or four or five, mm-hmm. because in that first year or two of lucid dreaming, most people just want to have fun. Mm-hmm. They want to fly. They want to go through walls. They want to create fireballs. They want to jump in a car and go a thousand miles an hour. They want to have lucid dream sex. They want to do all that kind of crazy stuff, and oftentimes they'll keep repeating it over and over and over. It's kind of like uh, a hungry ghost, mm-hmm. you know, some part of themselves that that just. It, it can't get enough. It needs to be fed. The
0: Facebook news feed trying to get to that perfect (laughs) thing where you've had enough and like you've got the right thing to end on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but at year three or four, normally that's when people start to realize, wait a second, there's more going on here because you're right. There's kind of a gentle, graceful kind of guidance going on. And that's the thing that begins to make people realize, wait, there's, there's more going on here. And so that's why I wrote my first book, I wanted to pop open all the potential stuff that people can do, how they can heal emotional traumas, heal the physical body, access creativity, actually interact with their larger awareness or their inner self, uh, do spiritual practices and all that kind of stuff. So, so I wanted to show people that there's this much greater journey out there that they can get on if they know it's possible. and. Uh, and, and so, so, so that's, that's why I'm glad you brought up journey. But part of this is when you start thinking about lucid dreaming. Uh, For what I love about the mirror in, in your dream last night is oftentimes the lucid dream uh, mirrors our mind back to us. You know where our head's at in that moment. And, and so so oftentimes uh, I think if people understood it that way, saw the reflected aspect and then realize that they're consciously relating to reflections, then that would help them move more quickly along the path.
0: I could imagine hearing that a couple of years ago and being like, oh yeah, I understand what that means. And then going the me now would view what you said differently. And I want to touch on that. What I, what I heard is that the dream mirrors your beliefs and expectations. So like, like instead of kind of an echo chamber of your own mind, like you begin to see all of those things happen in like real world, like real life around you. And I think some people might think that a lucid dream feels like a dream, which uh, see they, these are paradoxical statements, but they might feel that lucid dreaming is somehow or different than this reality. And in, in, I've had many lucid dreams, maybe not nowhere near as many as some, but I've had many lucid dreams where it feels as real as this reality, waking physical reality is what some people call it, WPR. Uh, or more real in the sense that I'm more aware of all the details. It also feels dense and like I could touch things and smell them and feel them. You know, I've had or actual sexual orgasms in this state and woken up and that actually had taken place, uh, somehow, uh, which is quite remarkable, uh, kind of blows porn out of the water for the people that are, you know, looking towards that. So different people are going to come motivated for different reasons. And I think, you know, a lot of people's ailments and their maybe addictions even could be healed uh through real experiences in lucid dreaming i think a lot of people if they even look at like violent tendencies and explore that in lucid dreaming can discover where that's coming from and the lucid dream you know in you know uh mexican shamanism uh who comes to mind to me right now is gosh the stories of the talking jaguar smell of rain on dust i'm trying to remember his name it's not coming coming to me at the moment uh, but he would say go cry in the ocean and like bring your grief to the ocean and it could take it the ocean that was what that is the role of the ocean and the idea is that the lucid dream, that whole realm can take your addiction, your violence, your pain and help you heal there. Uh, there's a book that I, I don't know if I heard about it from you, but it says dreams, the hidden language of God or something or the the language of God. I haven't read it, but the, the title sounded profound. And uh, it seems like that space, this realm, this gateway is open for people to enter and uh, experience healing in this realm uh, that they might not have access to elsewhere. They could be in prison. They could be in solitary confinement cell. They could be a paraplegic. They could have locked-in syndrome like the, that movie, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, and they could experience uh, what it's like to be in a physical body, flying, floating, uh, meeting their ancestors. All of this is possible to, I guess, I mean, I'm not going to say that. Is all of this possible with lucid dreaming in your experience?
1: Oh, most certainly, you know, all of this is possible. I, hearing you speak uh, reminds me of uh, getting an email from this uh, Hungarian Lucid Dreamers group. So, so one of the guys in the group had got my first book, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, and he read it and it blew his mind open. He, he never re- He'd been a lucid dreamer for a long time, but never ever thought about the possibilities. And so he shared it in his group, and and now everyone in the group was having these mind-blowing lucid dreams. And and they sent me this video, and uh, one of the guys told me that the most profound lucid dream for him, they realized in the lucid dream that you could interact with your larger awareness. So you can ignore the dream figures, ignore the dream setting, and just shout out a question to the non-visible awareness, like, show me something important, or or something like that. And then normally the lucid dream will change. So anyway, they, they kind of became masters at that after reading my book. And this one guy said he was getting so pumped up by interacting with his larger awareness that finally he decided to ask, now give me spiritual mm-hmm. power. And this non-visible larger awareness said, you still have more emotional work to do. Wow. You know, you have to heal, heal your, your traumas, your life traumas. Before, before you can get to that stage. And, and so, so that's kind of the beautiful thing when you, it's like this having this larger awareness that you can reach out to is, is kind of like having this inner counselor. Um, I remember uh, talking to a therapist who told me that she dealt with a young guy who had agoraphobia. He never left the mm. house. And, and I, I never could understand exactly why this young guy didn't leave the house, but I, I think it this might have been- This is before COVID. Yeah, this is before COVID. Yeah, yeah, way before COVID. Uh, and this poor young guy, I I think what happened is someone committed suicide in the house, and the kid came home from school, discovered it, and then after that he just never left house. So anyway, um, I asked her, well, how are you doing, therapist, with this young guy if he doesn't meet anybody and just stays at home? And she goes, oh, we do it by Skype. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that that's cool, doing uh, Skype therapy. But anyway. The young guy didn't want to do typical dream interpretation work, but he was really interested in lucid dreaming. So the therapist sent the guy my first book. He began to read it. He became enamored at this idea of reaching out to your larger awareness. And she told me some of the events that happened when this young guy would become lucid, like, like mm-hmm. here's an example, the, the young guy becomes lucid. and. And uh, he he reaches out to his larger awareness. So so what do you have to say to me now? And the larger awareness responds, do you remember your last dream? And this young guy goes, oh yeah, you mean where I destroyed the village with fire and I shot all the people who were running out of their houses? Mm. And and the larger awareness says, yes. Do you think you could have made a different response? And and the therapist is just blown away by the therapeutic activity of this inner awareness that, you know, it's a non-visible awareness in people's lucid dreams. Anyway, this young guy began to have so many interactions with this larger awareness that eventually, uh, after six months of interacting with this larger awareness and this therapist, uh, he left his home for the first time to to go to a lucid dreaming conference. So. So so it's incredible what can happen when you begin to realize that there's more than your ego waking self going on, that there's this whole other platform, your larger awareness that you can reach out and interact with in the lucid dream state.
0: I mean, I, I just have to point to this in case somebody's listening to this and just feels like they heard what that's, sh- what, what was just said, because I think I also missed this the first time I, I listened to your book the first time, like prior to having that l- rekindling of lucid dream with uh, David J. Brown. And, uh, and I like, was like, oh yeah, I think I'm getting all this. Like it's all going in. Then I listened to your book again, uh, the audiobook, great, uh, great narrator, by the way. Uh, and I go wow, I totally didn't get this shit the first time around. And, uh, like, and I hadn't done much Jungian studying and I've read like dozens of books, like either by Jung or on Jung or on depth psychology and this whole idea. Uh, not that I would recommend everybody needs to go out and do that. Cause kind of like what you had, you just looked at your hands and that the gate opened and then kind of the teacher came and found you. You didn't you have to, you could save your eyes uh, from having to read so much potentially unless you wanted to. Um, Because I feel a lot of people feel like maybe they have to do that. Sometimes I do like, gosh, in order to have this great experience, I've got to research it and learn everything because I don't want to mess up, you know. Uh, But this idea of that there's an awareness that is conscious in the unconscious. And again, we reach this like paradoxical sounding thing that there's a conscious being or entity or communicating, I don't even know what word to use, conscious, unconscious, that's present while we're lucidly aware, while asleep, but feeling like we're awake, but knowing that we're dreaming and knowing that our waking life exists. And here we are communicating with this Being that's like Wizard of Oz, but not even, you can't even see them, but is communicating both auditorily through figures, through the environment itself, through insight, through sensation, through crying, through memories that then manifest on in the actual world around you that, you know, is a dream, but no, but feels real, uh, I don't know if I nailed it, but that's what I'm trying to to point towards. It's like this actually happens. And for some people, quite frequently, some people, maybe even every night, I've heard of people that have lucid dreams every night.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and, and some people do. So so here was the interesting thing that I started to think when I discovered in 1985. so, So I started lucid dreaming in 1975. The scientific evidence came out at the end of 1980. And then in 1985, I was part of this uh, three-year experimental lucid dreaming group where every month we had a goal. And and so it was back in 1985, uh, I had this lucid dream where instead of the dream figure responding, a voice boomed out a response from Mm. above. And, and, And so when I woke up from that, I remember thinking, is there an awareness behind the dream is there kind of an aware unconscious mind that can answer questions and 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 respond to things if i just start ignoring the dream figures because i think we're all socialized to interact with dream figures you know what's that dream figure doing what's your name or what does this item mean it's like
0: why is there a sofa here what 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 do you mean you know
1: (laughs) so 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 we're socialized you know in this waking world to do that but after that so after that first lucid dream of having a voice boom out a response to a question then i began in all my lucid dreams just to ignore the dream figures and i would ask to experience things or show me this or let me experience that and and that's when the amazing stuff started to happen because uh well, like one time I, I asked to show me my life as if it was a painting and then suddenly in the lucid dream There's a 90 foot by 30 foot painting hanging in the sky I mean literally, you know in a, in a microsecond or two Just this vast creativity and I'm just blown away looking at the painting that symbolizes my life so so So, you know, oftentimes in political thrillers, they'll say, you know, follow the money and whatever. But I'll tell you, in lucid dreaming, if you follow the creativity, it'll take you deeper and deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. And and that's what I realized this first level is interacting with this awareness behind the dream, because that's gonna take you to creativity beyond your own conscious self creativity in the lucid dream. Sure, you can make stuff appear and this, that and the other, But when you begin to interact with the larger awareness, that's when it just blows blows people's minds.
0: What's coming up so strongly for me multiple times during this episode, there's so much coming up for me, Robert. I'm like, gosh, I could go this way and this way. Like there's a choose your own adventure story and there's so many, very dreamlike. But what's coming up so strongly for me is one of my greatest wounds. Uh, And one of my greatest wounds was being told that uh, life after death is this thing uh be it when i was when i was raised it was uh i was raised christian and then uh my mother and my stepfather became what would be considered fundamentalist Christian. Uh, they would be proud to say that. Uh, Bible as literal truth. And there are pearly gates and there are mansions and there are gold streets. And we think that there's dogs there, but you know just the nice ones. And uh, you worship at Jesus's feet and God's, the father's feet and play the harp and sing with the angels and the, you know, and that's what you do for eternity, forever and ever, amen. And you better like it because that's where you are and you better be good. Otherwise you end up in fire and brimstone and death and torture for all eternity and there's nothing you could do and you've got, you know, maybe a long time to figure it out, you know, and I, you know, I kind of just started to think about that. I'm like, well, if you're a kid, could Oh no, before you're the age of seven, then you just automatically go to heaven. I'm like, well, it would just be the biggest, why are people crying when their kid dies? When they're two, you should be celebrating it, you know, because then they went to heaven and like, they didn't have a chance to screw up. And even if you're their parent and you felt the grief that they're lost, you know, you're only not going to speed them for, you know, this lifetime. And then they're in heaven for sure. And the best thing you could possibly do is, you know, not not make it past seven or, you know, don't screw up too bad. And then how bad can you screw up? And then you just got to confess. And I I don't know. I just kind of went to the end of all these things and I had a dream it was absolutely terrifying. It was the most terrifying moment of my life, and I had a lot of crazy stuff happen to me growing up. But this was actually the most terrifying moment of my life. Was a dream. I had gone to sleep. I was eight years old. I lived in the you know uh, a house in the projects. Everything around me was razor wire in the back, uh, in the back uh, yard. That wasn't as terrifying. It was someone decapitated the first week I lived there. A uh, uh, hundred yards away in a bush. Uh, So really extreme stuff. You'd think that's really terrifying. Watch Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and, you know, go to sleep watching that. Totally not bothered by that. Handle that all the time. Could imagine people getting tortured or whatever. Totally fine. Not terrifying for me. Terrifying for a lot of people. I wouldn't watch it today. Probably give me nightmares today. But I go to sleep and in the dream, I'm in this version of heaven that I've been told. And here I am. And I'm like, Oh, wow. Because I used to say every night before I go to bed, I'd say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I'm like, well, if I die, I go to that heaven place with the harp. And, and for whatever reason, as grace would have it or whatever it is, I ended up in this heaven at God's feet. Jesus was there. He was cool. He seemed like a nice guy and a nice God, I guess. And, uh, and I was like, at first I felt really comforted. Like here I am in the clouds and there's Jesus. Yes. And then here's father God. And he looks like a nice guy. And you know, we're going to all be hanging out and you know, Hey, wait, I'm a kid. Am I a kid forever? Uh, you know what? Uh, okay. We're going to be playing the harp now. Wait, are we going to be playing the harp forever? How long is forever? What do we do after we play the harp? Okay. Like, is this where I'm at? Am I always at this person's feet forever and ever forever? Oh my God. Nothing changes forever nothing changes forever playing the harp it doesn't matter how good it is it's forever and I totally freak out and I wake up and I'm like in this in my you know and we had a lot of fleas when I was growing up so here I am cold you know you know my blanket's falling off me and I'm cold and I'm like Oh my gosh, this is better than being at the foot of God forever. Like I'd take this over that and I like and I'm like, what's real? Because it felt more real than waking up. So I like I get up like it's those moments where you're trying to get up, but you can't even like like I, I think it was sleep paralysis, but I don't know, maybe just pure terror. And finally I'm able to move and I run. Uh, thankfully, our house is pretty small, so I didn't have to run too far. It's uh, I think 800 square feet, and so I run over and I open the door, and uh, my mom and my stepdad are sleeping there, and uh, and they and they hear the door open. My stepdad's a life sleeper, he wh- snoring, <sighs> and wakes up, and I'm like standing there with this terrified look on on my face, kind of like exorcism or something, and they're like, "What's the matter?" and I go. I'm not real. I'm not real. I don't exist. I don't exist. I don't know. I, nothing's real. Nothing's real. Nothing's real. And, uh, and they didn't really know what to do. And they're like, mother Mary, mother Mary, you know, you know, you know, uh, you know, Jesus, please rescue this, you know, like, and then that makes me even more terrified. Cause I was just with Jesus, you know, as Carl Jung would say, my, my, my good old friend, Jesus, I was just with Jesus, like in heaven with the harp. And, and so, even when I would take psychedelics, I would be terrified that like I would like hit the wall of the universe. Like, okay, oh there it is, I finally got to the end, oh shit, now what do I do, you know? Uh, so I know you and I were talking and you said, you're like maybe the first person I've talked to about this, but you wrote something in college, I don't know if you want to touch on, you had the same thing happen. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, so, so so I grew up in the Midwest, and and you know we all go to church every Sunday and all that kind of stuff. And but I remember I was in high school, and we had the junior paper, twenty pages you had to write on some topic of your choice. And so I wrote a paper on the concept of heaven in major religions. And as I'm writing it, I'm having the exact same thought as your little eight-year-old mind. <laughs> Is like, what am I going to do for an eternity? <laughs> I mean, that just sound, that sounded like the, prison, the worst prison possible. I just thought, oh, my God. Yeah. That's, that's what all this, you know, you know being extra good and, and you know, not, not doing this and not doing that. And I, I thought, this is madness. And, but here's, here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing that happened to me. So, so, you know, there I am growing up in the Midwest, and you kind of grow up in this kind of structured, you know, Christian view of things. My dreams are what made me realize that while there's nothing wrong with with kind of the biblical idea of loving others as much as you love yourself and loving God and all that kind of stuff, all that's great, I I think that's super. But it began to show me, my dreams began to show me that there's something more going Mm -hmm. on here. It started to give me some context and I kind of wonder if that was the purpose of that dream of yours, of kind of meeting Jesus and God and just kind of re- having this realization that, hey, you know, eternity doing that? Are you serious? So, so anyway, what happened to me is um, I was probably, I, I'm, so I was like 13 years old. And one night I fall asleep. And now I'm looking through the eyes of this guy who has big hands, much bigger than mine, and this big wool coat. And I look at the apartment and there's gas lights like they had around the 1900, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, that were had actual natural gas would light up people's house. And this guy has a glass of red wine in his hands. And so in our family, we never had alcohol in our house, you know, because we're good Christian Midwest people. Anyway, the guy (laughs) brings up this glass of red wine and takes a drink. And again, I'm looking through his eyes, experiencing everything. And suddenly, in my mouth, I feel this explosion of a great glass wow. of wine. Just boom! This, this incredible taste. And when I woke up, I I began to think, is that what wine tastes like? This is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but I had never had that in my. But anyway, what what was happening? I I realized that this guy was from I think he's from Rotterdam. He he was a merchant it was around 1900s and he he worked with boats and and i knew the harbor was just behind him it it was really terrible but i began to have these experiences where i would see through others eyes realizing that i was connected with those Mm -hmm. people in other lifetimes uh, you know that 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 they what most people would call past lives or incarnations. Wait,
0: this was nowhere when, in your book, Robert. This was nowhere in that, your book. You know, <laughs> this is what we were talking about, know, this, and I, this, is, I, this is what I get so excited about because I've had. I'm—we I'm, might share some of mine too on this, but it's like holy shit, this is the real thing. <laughs> wow, this is all that. Ma- this like makes Harry Potter look like not that wild at all. Like this, it, actually, this <laughs> this reality that's real that we really have right now is way crazier than the Avengers. Or Infinity Gauntlet, or Harry Potter. It's actually even more crazy than all of that.
1: Yeah, here's one crazy thing that happened. So, so one night, uh, I'm looking through the eyes of a woman in in kind of a log cabiny kind of place, and and she climbs up the little steps and looks out this this tiny glass window, and I can see the uh, the masted boats out in the harbor and i know i'm looking to the south towards the ocean and so so i ask in my mind where is this and i hear gloucester and and so i'm a young guy who grows up in the middle of kansas i'd never been out to massachusetts never never been to the atlantic ocean any of that so anyway this woman has this heavy cloth in her hands and she's so kind of sarcastic and bitter and intelligent at the same time. And I'm thinking like, what is going on here? But I, I can see the, the masted boats out there. So, so I know it's like late 1600s or something. So I wake up and I think, oh, that dream's a bunch of hooey because uh, the Atlantic Ocean is to the east and, and that harbor open to the south. And so I get out my atlas and look at Gloucester Mass and darned if their harbor doesn't open to the wow. south. And then I began to realize that as a little kid, I always had something against Boston. I just, I never, even though Boston was 1,500 miles away and <laughs> has nothing to do with my life in the middle of Kansas, I just, you know, Boston, just anything about that Boston area just bad, bad, bad. Anyway, uh, so, so about 10 years ago, uh, I was invited to give a workshop out in Boston and I thought, okay, I'm going to Gloucester. I'm gonna find this place. You know what? I found the exact place where this cabin was, which is about 50 yards west of the first fort that was built there by the British when they landed, like in 1658 or something like that. And I realized that this this white cloth this woman had was, uh, was sailcloth, she, that she repaired sailcloth for the sailors. And then I realized the reason she was so bitter and sarcastic was that her husband had gone to sea and never returned. And so they were all Puritans. And so these Puritans were very, you know, it's just this way. And was she divorced? Was she widowed? Had her husband found another woman in another port? What was going on? And so she was kind of like this, she had no social standing. And when I found this place though, all of a sudden all the crows in nearby trees just went crazy. Calling just, wah, 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 wah. But I found the exact place, and because that harbor view really hadn't changed, but it w- it was really a trip to go by there and then, about twenty or thirty years later uh after that, is when the Salem witch trials happened, and so these Puritans were getting all freaked mm. out, and you know evil and sin and blah blah blah, and of course, you know women attractive women, especially uh were, were probably witches and mm. anyway but but all that kind of stuff. Began to put my searching in a greater context. It's like, okay, if I'm having that experience, you know, is it valid? Is it true? Is it real? But how does it connect to me? Oh, these other religions have this idea of, of past mm-hmm. lives. And so then I began to look a little further afield and and and, and kind of uh, check that out.
0: I mean, it's, it's so, I don't know. I mean, for me, uh, I must say that the current mythology of, of scientific reductionism and uh, the idea that if you just reduce things down to their smallest parts, you could figure everything out and discover a theory for everything. And, you know, we're all accidents that happened on a rock, that happened out of, a, uh, out of space in the process of a big bang, uh, that began at all, that happened nowhere, no when, Out of nowhere, like we're just going to ignore the fact that that somehow happened out of nothing. uh, And and then just like, uh, you know, but we've got it pretty much, you know, kind of figured out. You know, I mean, look at Tesla cars, you know, that those are pretty cool. So, like, if they could self drive, then you know, we're almost there as these, you know, really smart primates that evolved for monkeys that somehow have found all this. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then there's that quantum theory thing, but that only really operates at really small levels, but you know, it's kind of weird and wonky, but we're just going to kind of ignore the weirdness of that or use that idea to like sell books about why you could use the law of attraction to get whatever material possession you want. Uh, you know, and then there's this other realm, uh, this gateway, uh, that is just totally mystical and brings you directly in touch with the numinous and the divine. And in a way that, for me causes my body to shake. Like I actually have had these experiences where I experience firsthand this, this, like I would imagine if I was at this place and found myself in Boston with the crows crowing, realizing I'd seen that in the dream and that synchronicity that's there and the meaning that's present, my body might actually start to go into like this, like shaking fits, which for whatever reason happens to me. I don't know if that's always going to happen, but I've had this happen, uh, yeah uh,
1: for, for, for 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 me it's the chill down the <laughs> back it's it's like th- there's there's this there's like this energy thing that just goes down your back and you go whoa but but it, it was i it hear was people say you know we're in spot. a
0: simulation it's all a simulation We're you know or, or or whatever that is and i go no it's not some human being that figured out some it's it's so many levels of unusual that like until you've experienced it you, it once you do you you highly doubt at least i do i highly doubt that's that it's a simulation but my i guess where i was getting at is my when i went on that long tirade tirant, tyrant no tirade i guess comes from the same root <laughs> but uh, i uh I had this deep fear. It's more more terrifying than the Christian idea of heaven that I was given. Not that all Christians believe that. Some don't. Some have this very gnostic or mystical, like you know, the mystical Christ, like Manly P. Hall. Uh, but uh, an, another way, uh, the the scientific reductionist myth, mythological view, which it is a myth, uh, because a myth. Pieces abstractions together to try to explain what's happening, uh, and in a, a language that a lot of people could understand. But now, you know, I don't know, I don't want to go down too deep in that direction, but uh, my I want to talk about the fear. I felt absolutely terrified. At first, I felt liberated. Oh, great, it's not like I'm gonna get punished for eternity in hell for all, for all forever and ever. Amen. It was you know, okay, now I feel good, you know, we, we all end up being nothing in the end, and that's, you know, that's totally fine, but then I would think about that, and that was actually somehow more terrifying than the God in the har- high with the with the harps, because at least if I end up with the God, the God the Father with Jesus and the harps, I could like, talk to God the Father and go, like, hey, I'm starting to get really freaked out here, it's been, like, you know, 1700,000 years, and, uh, like, my fingers kind of hurt from the harp, and, you know, and I know I've got the best harp that God could make, but, like, I'm kind of getting burnt out on this. You know, like I kind of want to forget everything and like go do more of kind of what I was doing before, like surprise me with something really more magical. But if all I am is an accident on a rock that like is just like everybody else and I have no soul and no past lives and I just appeared here and I'm basically a product of my conditions plus my epigenetics of my mother somehow uh, and father and, you know, then I just cease to exist forever then I kind of like lose all my energy or desire to really do anything beautiful or to like investigate anything. I just like feel ter- like a mild feeling between like terror, like, oh my God, this is terrifying. Okay, now I'm going to feel numb. Now I want to drink some, some of that wine Robert was talking about. Uh, but for me, lucid dreaming has kind of begun to reopen this idea that there is something so much deeper and eternal and that in some way... I'm also eternal. and 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 this idea that you're talking about with reincarnation that many cultures believe, like if you have this experience of looking at this woman through your through her eyes and have that false experience, somehow she is alive in you or you were alive in her, and it becomes this, you know, our language struggles and especially our belief systems uh, are are rigid at first. But I think that the dreaming helps. Open those up to where you and I could communicate, and we could feel that. And then this podcast becomes an invitation to others to create that impetus within them to explore this if they feel called. Uh, but I wanted to—is that what you experience this this idea of having a, a deeper aliveness that goes more deeply through time as opposed to just yeah,
1: yeah? So 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 so, so here's what I like. I like the, uh, this is the idea that I think is the next step basically in, in kind of our, our evolution as a species is about expanding the concept of selfhood. Because where we are right now is you have a conscious self. And you have this ego that's kind of creating this persona that's, you know, making you look good out there in front of, you know, the, the vast white world. And, you know, may, maybe you have, you know, shadow elements, denied, ignored, repressed parts of the self. And, and maybe, you know, you have an inner child and a spiritual self and archetypes. But, but that's kind of where we are. And that isn't what lucid dreaming is showing me and what dreaming is showing me. Dreaming is showing me I'm connected to other selves across time and space. And then when I interact with the larger awareness, it's showing me you're connected with vast creativity, knowledge, and knowing beyond the conscious self. And all of a sudden, you know, when I began to interact with the larger awareness and began to ask to experience concepts, and suddenly I'd be watching something conceptual be explained to me or shown to me. All of a sudden I realized that many of the Vedic traditions of uh, the Hinduism and, and all, they said that these guys way back then basically somehow came up with all these wild ideas and theories by virtue of their, <laughs> deep, uh, of the, of their deep movement. And at the time I thought, you know, eh, maybe. But in a lucid dream, when you see the incredible creativity, when you see concepts explained to you or shown to you, then all of a sudden you go, oh my God, I'm connected to something else here. And, and so that begins to shift this whole paradigm of the conscious ego self, you know, might have archetypes, might have a shadow, we're just there. That, that there's something more going on here. We're connected across time and space. We're connected to a larger awareness. And, and that I think is really our next step because if people get that, then life changes
0: for them. You they know. stop trying to arrive somewhere permanently. I think that like the idea of enlightenment is kind of like the idea of the the harp and God, the father up in the cloud. I think because people are, I mean, I could speak for myself. I was suffering and I was scared and I, I wanted to like be okay. And I I wanted to feel safe. And I thought, you know, and I wanted to be like loved and loved, especially in the mind of, or the eyes of God. So at first it was like, I want to be loved and be a good boy and end up in this heaven space. And then it was like, you know, I want to end up, you know, enlightened. That was the next thing. I want to Be like in the present moment, whatever that means, and not thinking. And like, I don't know how to really do that, but I'm gonna try to like do that the best that I can. And you know, I'm gonna be enlightened. And I'm like, I don't really know how this works. I think I like got to a point where I really wasn't thinking much. Uh, cause I really went after it. I'm like, I'm going to do this Eckhart Tolle thing, which I share his birthday, by the way, I found out years later, but, uh, I'm like, I mean, he's older than me, unless you look at my ID where they screwed up and said, I'm a hundred, but, uh, that's a whole nother story. (laughs) But, you know, I, I found that I was able to stay quote unquote in the now without thinking provided I lived in a tent in the wilderness and didn't look at my phone. Like it was actually really easy to be present. There were some thoughts that come up, but I was really aware of them. Uh, but I don't live in that world really. And I, and I enjoy interacting with people and, uh, I enjoy making connections and not having to feel like I have to isolate. Cause if I look at like what, why I wanted to isolate is I was trying to achieve something again, like, and maybe I am with the lucid dreaming thing too, as Don Juan says, maybe I'm like hunting after power. Uh, uh, I don't know what, what, what that, I mean, but I guess if you're going to be chasing anything, Uh, If you look at the Bible, uh, seek only the kingdom of heaven and all else will be provided unto you. I might have butchered that, but uh, I think it's a worthy thing to seek. What do you think?
1: (laughs) So, so, um, you know, I think what we're here doing is is trying to develop a more spacious mind, a, a mind that allows insights and intuitions and impulses to come, that otherwise wouldn't come, come to us. And in lucid dreaming, as you begin to interact with that larger awareness, I think that helps to develop uh, uh, what I'd call a more spacious mind. Uh, so, so I, I give an example of this in my book. One time my wife and I, uh, we're floating down the Grand Canyon, down the Colorado River. And so you get on these uh, big rafts with 20 other people and it's a seven day trip and, and you go down the Grand Canyon. And it's such an amazing thing. You're, there's no cell phone coverage. You, you, you just get back to nature. You sleep out at night under the stars. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're doing this in August. It's bloody hot, but, but we're just having a great time. On the third or fourth day, we get to Havasu Creek. And that's where this, if you go up the trail a couple miles, there's this beautiful Havasu Falls. And it's, it's just this beautiful, beautiful piece of water, you know, there in the desert. So so we all stop there, we go up the trail, I see my wife is helping the most elderly member uh, deal with all the rocks and stuff. And so finally we get down to the water, down to the creek, and we slide down the embankment and get into the water, and it feels like heaven because you know, the water is probably 70 degrees and outside it's 105. Anyway, I get in a meditative state and I reach out to my larger awareness. And, I, I, and well, basically what I did, I reached out to the canyon, I said, so, Canyon, what do you have to say to me now? Mm-hmm. And I heard as clear as day, get out while you still can.
0: Wait, you were I, I thought, dreaming, right?
1: No, nah, you know, I, 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 I sit up in the water and i I like, you know, am I sitting on an aquatic plant? Am I hurting something? Here? <laughs> I, no, this is an waking I
0: think, physical reality, not not this not, is not an, an elusive physical dream. reality. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. This,
1: this is not a dream. And, and so I get back into a meditative state and, and a few minutes later, I reach out to the canyon. Hey, canyon, what do you have to say to me now? And this time it was more insistent. It, it just pretty much shouted, get out while well, you still can. And I stood up in the water and I told my wife and the other people, I go, well, we got to get out of here. And my wife says, oh, this is heaven, you know, what? why? And, and I go, there's something wrong, we got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And that's when I kind of look up in the canyon and so we're kind of in a slot canyon and I can see this little tiny edge of a black thunderhead, a black thunderhead cloud, and I know that there's gonna be a flash flood. And I say, look, look, there, there's, there's gonna be a flash flood. And, and so we help the elderly woman get up, the crew comes running up the trail, get back to the boat, there's gonna be a flash flood, get back, and, and so finally everybody gets back to the boat and, and the heavens open up. But, but here's what I'm saying, we think that lucid dreaming has no purpose than just having fun in the moment Mm -hmm. but i'll tell you as you begin to interact with that larger awareness you're kind of opening inner doors you're kind of developing a spacious mind where you're able a little bit more easier to connect with this larger awareness Mm -hmm. and you also see this in people who meditate in lucid dreams um Mm -hmm. i remember talking to claire johnson you you know claire and uh and uh she said that she began to meditate in lucid dreams began to meditate in lucid dreams and she said now what used to take her 20 minutes to get to a deep state of meditation now because she's done it five or six times in a lucid dream she gets there in five minutes Mm. and so 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 what i'm saying is that lucid dreaming might seem kind of nutty or it just involves dreaming or blah 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 but but i'm saying no that that you're you can open up inner doorways, and those inner doorways can begin to show you that there's much more to being you than just just the conscious ego self.
0: Are you familiar with the uh medical doctor and uh, neuroscientist and professor of literature, Ian McGilchrist? Nope, oh wow. This is mind blowing. And you're touching on his work, his life's work. So he actually became, I think he got a doctorate in literature, um, English or something, uh, I think in, in, in literature and was a professor at a major Ivy league school and then went back to school, became a medical doctor, psychiatrist and neuroscientist. And then, uh, through, I mean, so, I mean, just rigorous study and research. I mean, this is like, he feels clearly drawn to this. He wrote a book called Master and His Emissary. I want to get him on the show. I've been meaning to reach out. His, uh, he wrote a book called *Master: The Master and His Emissary, and he explains it in this way. And he's, because he uh, has this background in writing, uh, he explains these very complicated uh, scientific terms in a beautiful and poetic way, in, uh, in prose essentially, right? Because uh, we don't really, a lot of people have a hard time understanding even poetry, to relate with poetry because it operates in a different part of the brain. In short, uh, and Owen Barfield, the the, the writer that inspired uh, Tolkien and, uh, uh, and uh, gosh, forget the other guy, Lord of the Rings fame. I guess that's Tolkien. Uh, but the idea was is that he says, it appears to be that human beings uh, until pretty recently, in the last couple thousand years prior to that, uh, they operated from their right hemisphere as the lead, and their left hemisphere followed. So the idea was is that the right hemisphere was the master, looked at everything holistically, and then the left hemisphere broke everything up into parts and served the, the master. And what essentially has happened at some point, we don't know exactly, I think he proposes that some type of agriculture and wars and being you know, separated from indigeneity and land, like you have to figure out a way to survive, and then what ended up happening is human consciousness became Began to become led the human organism led by the left hemisphere of the brain, especially in the West. The right, uh, the 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 East still had a lot of right hemisphere led, uh, and both hemispheres are operating simultaneously. I don't want to get too deep into that aspect because, for one, I don't fully understand it like he does, uh, and second, I think we could lose some people in this. But the idea was is that. Uh, we experienced this kind of connection with all of life, nature, and each other. And the left hemisphere, That like the state of being was very different. And what I imagine it to be like is a lot like a lucid dream because I've had lucid dreams. I've also had things happen in, in waking physical reality that were very lucid dream-like, like what you're saying, which... Traditionally happens among shamans, but I believe that there was a time, at least not even me, who cares what I say really, uh, Ian McGilchrist believes there was a time where human beings just lived that way, that uh, especially indigenous people, they lived with connected to everything around them in this very participatory uh, way with the world. That's why if you read Homer's Odyssey, we don't even know if Homer was one person or if it was a collection of people. Of course, someone that was speaking from the right hemisphere of the brain, would would they, they, they would maybe see that they were connected in some connected way with the other authors that were also named Homer. Uh, uh, so... The idea was is that they would participate with the environment around them. And that's why if you read Homer's Odyssey, like they are talking to the gods. You have Odysseus talking, speaking to the gods as though they are there. And what he's saying is this wasn't some creative act of him speaking to the gods and going through this process. No, no, no. He was actually speaking to the gods. He was hearing, just like we do in the dream lucid dream, say, he was hearing the voices of God of God and they were communicating back and forth with him. So the separate egoic self was very weak or very loose. And the idea is, is that throughout time we've developed this deep separate self. My friend, Charles Eisenstein, who actually was the reason I started this podcast to begin with, he talks about the idea of the separate self and the idea of interbeing and moving back into uh, a connected and, uh, uh, an inter, I guess there's not a better word that I could think of an interbeing self, not just with other humans, but the environment and the continuum of consciousness. Because dreaming is not this separate thing that happens. The dream state could in, could envelop our waking physical reality as well, like it does in Journey to Ixlon, like it did that day with you. We were if you're open to the to the numinous uh, communicating with you, I believe that there are warnings. And a lot of people, uh, have spoken to this, you know, near death experiences. I remember I was in a car accident where three people died. But prior to that, I was like, there's an accident that's about to happen. I just, I I don't even know if it was that conscious. It was just like slam on the brakes, which I did. And, uh, I attributed it to two cars speeding by me on either side, but I would normally not slam on the brakes when that happens. And ended up being the three people died. And had I not done that, the fate of the person behind me was that they died. So, uh, I, you know, in some ways I'm like, holy shit, you know, I, I ended up, you know, dying, you know, and i uh, sorry, I didn't end up dying. I would have ended up dying. And my doing that ended up causing someone else to essentially die. No, no intention. Of course, it was for whatever reason, their time, I guess, like the rabbit in journey to Ixlan. But, um, I don't know. I just felt like sharing that with the audience. I haven't talked about that um, before, and I wanted to share that with you because I I think what happened is that the connection between your uh, right and left hemisphere are really, really strong, uh, and that's why uh, you were able to access that. I think that that's our birthright. I think you know we probably all, if we cultivate that, could have this happen, but most people just don't put any of their attention on this. Dreams become... Just another thing, like oh, that's that. Just a dream.
1: Well, what, what, one crazy thing I realized, um, I, I was watching some study on maybe it was kids with dyslexia, or I can't remember. It was kids who hadn't got their left and right hemispheres talking to each other correctly. Hmm. And so, so what? What the therapist had them do was juggle. Because by juggling you juggling balls, you had to get your left and right hemispheres kind of coordinated. And this is a funny thing. When I was like 13 or 14, I went to the library, got a book on juggling, and I became a little juggling fiend. I was you know, huh. juggling three balls, juggling four balls, and all this kind of stuff. But I don't know if on some deeper level I was trying to connect my hemispheres better. But, but I, I think there, there actually might be something to that. that, wow. that um, that, you know that, that there's practical ways that you can help people uh, get their hemispheres going and especially when you're a kid it's a lot of fun you know to, to juggle and all that stuff but, but I wanted to say about Ian McGilchrist, um, uh, Master and His Emissary when I was reading Carlos Castaneda's book that came out in 1993 called The Art of Dreaming he asked Don Juan, his shamanic teacher who is this non-visible voice that responds to me in lucid dreams and don juan said i call that the dreaming emissary it'll always tell you the truth anytime you ask and i'm reading this thinking wow
0: in in
1: 85 (laughs) in 85 i encountered this non-visible voice that would respond to my questions i've been interacting with it you know just on and on and on and here it is in 93 this book the art of dreaming comes out because people were saying that Castaneda was a fraud, that he wasn't doing any of this stuff. And when I read that, I thought, maybe some other stuff he's exaggerating. I don't know. But at least he's a good enough lucid dreamer that he knows that there's an awareness behind the dream. He's interacting with it. And Don Juan knows enough about it to kind of explain, explain its, uh, its, its functionality, its purpose there. So, so anyway, that, that, that blew my mind that blew my mind because I think you're right. I think in, in other indigenous cultures, they had a different view of what the self was about. They had the, a different view of what life purpose was about. And, and their version of self was much more fluid and the ego wasn't nearly as well developed as we've managed to get it here in 2020.
0: You know, it's, uh, I'm trying to remember, I I read a a quote at the beginning of a chapter of a book recently that said something along the lines of, uh, oh, it's in a book called The Book About Dreams by uh, Wilhelm Reich, Peter Reich, uh, Wilhelm Reich's son. And it said something about uh, to hold on to the pain till the longest time you can so that you could wait for the bliss of the release of that pain. And, uh, that's a paraphrase it's, uh, but I think that maybe what we're experiencing as human beings in this crazy sense of separation, I mean, like it is manifesting in the physical reality, like in a way that you, even if you were blind, you would see it in that, you would experience it, uh, where people are wearing masks, where you have to stand six feet apart. There's six feet apart things on the floor. Like I was at the bank the other day and there's, you know, the, the things on the, on the ground. And then there's security guards, both outside and inside to keep the control of the people outside and inside. And then you'd never think you'd wear a mask in inside of a bank, but now you are, but they have glass in front of them. Plus they have, you know, uh, uh, you know, the mask mask the glass in front of their face as well, like an additional glass to protect them from the other people that are inside the bank. And then they have the mask on and then people outside also have the glass on plus the mask on. And then there's hand sanitizer, I'm just like, holy shit. I mean, this is about as miserable and separate as, as we could get. Like we're all in our own little prisons. I mean, I've been to jail. I spent a month in solitary confinement for, for a computer glitch. I mean, I wasn't completely, I was 15 years old and I got implicated in breaking into an ice cream truck when it was parked. Uh, but like it didn't warrant a month in solitary confinement, but I needed that experience too. Cause I realized how terrible it is to be locked in a solitary confinement cell with none of these. Avenues. I didn't know any of these things existed and it didn't find me by grace in there. I, I went through the torture of being locked in there, not knowing when I was going to get out. Cause it wasn't like, Hey, you're going to be in here for just 30 days. It's just like, you're going to be in here till we figure out what the hell's going on. And it took 30 days to figure it out. And I sat there. But, uh, I guess what I, I wanted to, I don't know what the heck I was pointing to. Uh, this happens to me sometimes it's the first time it's happened on this episode, but this typically happens. I go down this crazy tangent and I go, Hey, Robert, I'm lost here. <laughs> where? How, how, how did I get here? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't remember uh, exactly. Oh, Carlos Castaneda. This is what I wanted to touch on. Uh, and maybe it's not exactly where I was going, but, uh, Carlos Castaneda, uh, maybe he appears to be like a fraud, you know, or maybe Joseph Smith in the Mormon religion appears to be like a fraud, but, or maybe, you know, to some people, Jesus might seem like a fraud, but in the divine that my guess is if Jesus or Joseph Smith or Carlos Castaneda had the energy to write these books and to live their life in this way, there had to be some deep level of truth to it. And it might be a little bit embellished, to the sense that this was happening in the dream realm, and he was bringing it over. Or, you, you know, he had to. You know, the, I, I, Neil Gaiman says writers are liars. Uh, so, in a sense, that by the very act of writing, in some sometimes, in order to make it mesh or make it make sense, uh, there's something that takes place that you know isn't quote unquote direct literal truth, but literal truth and truth uh, sometimes are, are are not synonymous. Sometimes, what's true. Uh, I, I, I'm struggling. I'm. I'm really. Uh, uh, I'm trying to point towards something. I, I interviewed Bayo Kumulafe, who's a West African, uh, and he says, you know, a lot of people would be uh, very offended if you said, uh, if you called the stories that they said that didn't happen in waking physical reality uh, as fiction they 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 would feel extremely offended and their culture they just don't view it as that and so the idea is is that at the time that Castaneda was writing these books it was inspiring people like you and it was successful enough to be able to support him to allow him to explore this and to reach to reach people. And however it reaches people, I think is a fantastic thing. And I think like even what Joseph Smith did, or, you know, people think, oh, he just made it all up. You know, a lot of people have benefited a great deal from that. Uh, And granted a lot of trauma has happened around that too. And, uh, that's the problem is that the more you dig, there's, you know, the minute things get systematized and get broken apart and taken as literal, uh, this is that left hemisphere, this idea of literal truth that I have this blocked away, separated from the process of life. That would be literal true, right? It's separated. It's, it's not connected. It has no other relationship. Whereas what is actually true is connected and interwoven and weaved in the fabric of, the unfolding of the present life, and connected not only there but everywhere, and backwards and forward throughout time, deep time, so to speak.
1: <laughs> well, well, one thing that I do think about about all of this, so so in this kind of search for the truth or struggle for the truth, it makes people re-examine reality, and the beautiful thing about the introduction of lucid dreaming, so so you have to realize that for thousands of years. Uh, Buddhist dream yoga existed where they used lucid dreaming uh, along with the Buddhist philosophy as kind of a pathway to enlightenment. Uh, The Sufis were using uh, lucid dreaming since since the 10th or 11th century. Uh, Ancient Daoists were, Egyptians. uh, uh, People have been using lucid dreaming as the spiritual path but the evidence didn't appear until 1980. And so finally this uh, spiritual tradition finally got scientific acceptability, but it's happening at the same time as, as the beginning mm. of virtual reality. So, so think about this, in a lucid dream, you know, you started out about how mm-hmm. real it is and it's more real than real sometimes, and, and that banana tastes just like a super banana, and, and that color looks just, exa- it's more vibrant than it is in waking life. I mean, when you become lucidly aware, you begin to examine reality in a whole different way. And now with virtual reality, augmented realities, we're examining realities. But I don't think, I think we have along with that, have to examine the self as we begin to broaden the meaning of reality, the the truth of reality, because eventually what's gonna happen, we're gonna connect with these indigenous cultures who were talking about these dimensional realities as real, and 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 sure it was a mm-hmm. shamanic journey, but yes, it was real, and, and I think we're finally going to get there, but we're going <laughs> to go through this kind of technological way to finally get there, and 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 validate experience, perceived experience as as fundamentally real, even though. Uh, uh, it might not be a consensus reality, it, it might be the reality within your head, just like a lucid dream uh, might be. But, but, so I think that's what's happening here. We're, we're, we're changing our understanding about the true nature of reality, technologically by exploring it, but that's also beginning to crack open the idea of of what real reality really means. Because that's what happened to me in my lucid dreaming, after 20 years you know of lucid dreaming i I'd been interacting with the larger awareness for 10 years and that's when i decided i wanted to go beyond lucid dreaming and and, and i wanted to you know kind of discover mm-hmm. what's the reality of the larger awareness where what's that all about and, and that's when i'd fall asleep at night and the entire night would
0: be nothing but light and your uh, wife said something some when you would have, she, you would say, I don't really remember anything but light. And yeah, then she'd yeah, say so, something so, was so, going on with you in waking physical reality. Uh,
1: well, uh, yeah. So, so what, what was happening? I, I'd fall asleep. You know, I was trying to go beyond lucid dreaming. I'd fall asleep and the entire night was nothing but blue light. There was, there was no me, no symbols, no action, no activity. Mm. It was just blue light the entire night. And the first time it happened, I looked at my dream journal and <laughs> what about my dream journal? Blue light? What, what's that? I, I had no context for this. And I remember one night or uh, one morning I woke up and I went down uh, to the breakfast table. It was one of these blue light nights. And and my wife looked at me and she goes, she goes, Robert, what's happening to you? <laughs> and I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what, what? why are you asking me that? And she said, Last night I looked at your face, and I've never seen someone in such utter bliss mm-hmm. before. What's happening to you? And I said, Well, I'm trying to understand the actual nature of reality, and I'm having these really weird experiences. <laughs> but, 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 but what I'm trying to get to is, you know, I, I think there's we're expanding. What is the real reality? Is perceived reality real reality? or is there a true reality beyond perception, you know, beyond the perceived experience? And so I think we're, we're going that way. And then on the other side, we're trying to expand the, the uh, idea of self. You know, who's this awareness behind the dream? Why does it seem to know answers? Why can it explain things? And, and so I think these are two ways that we're trying to break free, you know, that we're trying to 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 kind of carve out a pathway to kind of deal with it. Because the beauty of lucid dreaming, like I started out at the beginning, is it's an access to creativity, follow the creativity. And what do we need so desperately at this time in our life? We need creativity to solve some of these bloody world problems that that are just humongous. And so when more and more people are accessing their larger awareness, getting in touch with its creativity, then that gives me a feeling that uh, mankind will have a chance to kind of innovate their way out of all the issues that we got going on.
0: Yeah, I had a dream recently, Robert, and uh, I can't even remember the details of it right now, probably for the best Uh but it was something about how do I solve all of this mess that's going on? Like, what is my part to play in like, you know, no, it's the right wing and, you know, we, we have to have conservatism. No, it's like, you know, you know, people are suffering and, you know, and if you're if you're not part of it, you're against it. And it's like, ah, I don't know what to do, you know. Um And I've got family and friends on one side and family and friends on the other and family that's not talking to other family because they, you know, you know, they believe one thing or the other. I was just like, it is absolute pandemonium. And somehow in the dream, it says, well, you just have to dream. Like, I I can't remember exactly what it was. It's somewhere in a dream journal, but something that just said, you just have to dream. And I think the idea is, is that I have to be the vehicle for the creativity or the imagination to come to me. Moment by moment, not to like come to me to like write out a pamphlet that then that then I then follow and try to get everyone else to follow. Although it may very well be something like that at some point, it might that that might actually come to me. Like, holy crap! It's you know lucid dreaming, gateway to the inner self through a black woman in a kitchen who came up behind you that then inspired your book and you integrated like like these things. it, It all comes. It seems like. And again, paradoxically, it all comes from there. But at the same time, it doesn't all come from there. (laughs) Uh, Robert, what I feel a lot of people may be thinking, or maybe not, and maybe it's just me, and uh, I'm going to be super selfish here, is I I get so fascinated when these dreamlike experiences that happen in the dream, kind of like your story with the ship and the mast, end up coming into waking physical reality as such a confirmation that whatever was communicating with you in that space was actually an intelligence that wasn't you, meaning your egoic self and story of Robert Wagoner. It was, you know, not even just your higher self. It is like a connected interbeing higher self, some might call God. Uh, uh, Whether there's a greater God than that God. And yeah, who knows? But, uh, or at least I don't know. Maybe someone does know. But it's a question. Who knows? Tell me who knows. And I'd like to meet them. But, uh, in one case you had a situation that you shared with me that happened in a dream and then something happened in real life. I wanted to know if you would share with me that experience and share with my audience. Cause I found it one of those moments of like deep, uh, like hope that there, is, that we're not just nothing floating around in space accidents on a rock. Okay. You're going to have to give me more clues. Uh, like, it has to do with the, uh, Buddhist religion and maybe a necklace. Right. Yeah. Cause you're not, so, you're not that so, religion. And it shows that there's this connection between uh, a man yeah. in Kansas that grows up in a Christian, uh, traditional Christian household. And then this Buddhist dream and right. I won't take too much so, away. So, I, love, so, I love to hear this story.
1: Yeah. So, so, so here, here's what happened. Um, uh, so, you know, I'm a guy, you know, I was even an Eagle Scout, you know, I was, I was all those kind of uh, Midwestern kind of things, and, uh, but I was deep into lucid dreaming. And, and one thing I realized as I went deeper into lucid dreaming, occasionally there was this Asian guy who would show up, and he had this really weird hair and, and all, but he'd give me advice in my lucid dreams or, or in, in regular dreams. And, and in my first book, I write about him a number of times. I said he was a recurring Asian figure. I couldn't figure out if he was like an archetype of Asian wisdom or maybe he was some past life helper. I don't know who the guy was. Anyway, I finished writing the book and I sent it off to the printer and I begin to have dreams that every night uh, people are giving me gifts. People I know, people I don't know. It's just every night, gift, gifts, gifts. People are bringing me gifts, giving me gifts. The final dream of this series is I'm in this Buddhist temple and this Chinese Buddhist, he has a shaved head. He reaches into a silk robe. He pulls out an ancient turquoise necklace. And he comes and he puts it right around my neck. And the room explodes into purple light. And I thought, I woke up thinking, what? Buddhist? What, what is this all mm-hmm. about? And so I have a good friend who's a Vedic astrologer in the Bay Area, uh, Stephen Kwong, I wrote him a note and I said, boy, I had this big dream about this Chinese Buddhist guy giving me this ancient turquoise necklace. I think this is really important in my life. And he writes me back and he says, oh, in three months I'm gonna be hosting a Chinese Buddhist. Uh, Here's the link. I click on the link and it's the guy who put the necklace around my neck. Mm. And then I start going through his life and seeing that earlier in his life, he had this totally bizarre hair that's why I couldn't figure out if he is Chinese or Indonesian or Filipino or what, what he was. Anyway, he, he's, he's a lineage head of what they call Chinese esoteric Buddhism. And it was a trip. When, when I had that realization that this guy actually existed in waking life, it made me feel like my life had been a setup for that moment that all these little twists and turns and whatever, and all these dreams were just leading to this moment where the ego Robert can have a total meltdown because who am I if I set up this diabolical thing to realize that I'm connected with this Chinese esoteric Buddhism. I had never studied Buddhism, didn't have any interest in it, and all of a sudden I realize, oh my God, I'm connected with these folks. Wow. And it was a trip. So. So, so, so j- just to tell you a funny story, so I decided that I'm going to go to the workshop that was going to happen three months later. So, the, so I started to read up a little bit on Chinese Esoteric Buddhism, and I realized they had a um, temple in, in uh, Southern California, in L.A. And so, so, so I, first I flew to L.A. because I wanted to visit the temple. Then I was going to fly up to San Francisco and go to the, uh, the workshop. So, I fly into Orange County, get a rental car I'm driving I'm getting right off the interstate s- interstate when I think, "Oh, I think you're supposed to bring fruit when you visit a Buddhist temple, hmm. and all of a sudden, as I stop at the stoplight out from underneath the passenger seat, roll the two most beautiful oranges you've ever seen. And, and I, it was it was a stunner. And then I go, so I go to the Buddha symbol, I have a real wild experience. Then I fly up to the uh, the workshop and just have a totally wild experience. So so when you have that kind of thing, you realize there's something more going on here. There's there's more than just us ego selves floating around with our friends and blah blah blah. That that there's really a deeper something going on. And, and if we can connect with that energy, uh, we can really learn a lot.
0: I feel like that is the hunger that people have that, you know, this is the stem of addiction. This is the, the economic problem with lack of equality. It's this hunger for whatever that is that is trying to be met in a, in another, in the left hemisphere brain type of way by more of whatever, more books, more, friends more facebook followers more money i mean i I, could, I i feel it in myself too you know i feel that momentum you know it carries a momentum with it and it's it's you're so tempted to just say oh the hell with it i'm just going after the spirituality and it, it, that doesn't work either because there's a lot of a lot of things that we have to unwind i think that's the idea of like i'm also not buddhist but i think that's the idea of like karma and dharma you know we have our dharma we have a soul i think that's something that i've i've begun to understand in lucid dream i i, I one of my first lucid dreams that was my incubation and i recommend uh, not recommend, but I invite, well, I mean, I recommend it. Cause yeah, I liked it. I liked that experience. I do recommend it, you know, and I invite, uh, someone that's listening to this to incubate a dream. We talked about it at the beginning is like, what is it that you want to have happen in a lucid dream? Uh, because with a strong enough desire to lucid dream and a, and a, like a powerful enough thing you're trying to incubate, you know, and just looking at your hands as a technique, I think is enough to have a lucid dream. I don't know. Would you agree with that, Robert?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, and, and also I think dream incubation, just the basis of it. You formulate a request, you concentrate on it, make it your intent before you go to sleep, and what responds? Your larger awareness. It'll give you some insight, something. It might be s- shown symbolically, but it'll give you something, and, and sometimes it's clear as day, and, and you, you wake up with something, and then you also realize, I touched something. By having that intent, by focusing on it before I went to sleep, I got a response. And so there's something there. So in, in a lot of mm-hmm. respects, lucid dream, our incubation is like lucid dreaming light. It's like uh, lucid mm-hmm. dreaming without the calories and you know without the hard work. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the easy version. I, I was talking to a young woman the other day and she told me that she had a Native American uh, dream expert, and and she asked him uh, how he became so wise in, in his tradition. And he said, I realized very young that I could interact with something more knowing in my dreams. And so before I'd go to sleep, I'd always make a request to connect with that knowing. And he said that knowing taught me everything I know. That knowing taught wow. me things from my tradition that, that I had never imagined and then later Uh, elders in the tradition would confirm it for me he said but i knew without a doubt that there was some inner knowing and before sleep each night i wanted to connect with it and and be taught by it and learn from it so again you don't have to be a great lucid dreamer but you do have to see this dream incubation as something more than just playing around with your mind or kicking around Mm -hmm. in this unconscious, uh, sandpile. You have to see it as something more, and then you can take it from there.
0: And I mean, maybe that, I mean, coming from my Christian upbringing, maybe just even a mustard seed of hope or belief that potentially there could be something there, something that I, you know, and going into it with that type of reverence, like, look, uh, I don't know if something's here, I really want to believe that there is, you know, I'm not asking for like tests or whatever, but I want to live in a world where there's an intelligence on the other end of this dream and that there's an intelligence that's on the outside of my brain. And I don't just cease to exist. I'm not in just a world full of mechanistic accidents floating around, which is kind of how it feels a lot of times, especially during COVID. You don't You look at any picture of public gathering and it's either complete pandemonium or total ordered, you know, protection of, you know, a friend of mine, Charles, he said, you know, I can't believe these are the same human beings that used to hunt walruses with spears, you know, because people are so terrified of each other and like of going outside and touching a door handle. Uh, and it's because I think we believe that there's nothing on the other side of this life. There, you know, even people that are very religious, I think a lot of times they cling to the religion uh, out of fear. Uh, that maybe their sneaking suspicion is that maybe there isn't anything there. And so they cling really, really strongly to it. I wanted to see my soul at my first lucid dream that I like incubated. I said, I want to meet my soul. And I was terrified when I, asked to, I became lucid and I shouted out to the dream, I want to meet my soul, terrified. It's going to be like this dark, like terrible creature or something. And coming up from the water was a dog. And, uh, and I looked at this little puppy dog and, uh, and I'm like, that can't be my soul. I want to meet my soul. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Uh, what were you going to say, Robert? That's
1: beautiful. No, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. But, but, but I want to tell you something, um, um, about six, seven years ago, one night, uh, I became semi lucid when I saw a woman and a man, they were just right in front of me and the woman looks at me just really intently in the eye and says i want you to understand that about 100 years to you is 1 year to me as i believe this woman i think in well she looks like she's about 35 so she's telling me she's 3500 years old okay so she's she's aware and awake looking at me and the guy is is asleep and she goes i want you to understand that ancient spiritual knowledge is returning to your system and i go what and she goes i want you to understand that ancient spiritual knowledge is returning to your system and so okay i got the message when i when i woke up i realized that the woman's aware so that's kind of like the inner intuitive portion People are beginning to get it Mm -hmm. on the waking world. We haven't kind of woken up to it. The guy is kind of, you know, expression and and physicality and outer, outerness. But now that we have all the wild stuff that's been happening in the last year, I keep coming back to that experience that even though this seems painful and weird and people are acting, you know, in just really kind of strange ways that that seem alarming uh, a lot of times, I have a sense that ancient spiritual knowledge is coming to our system, but you have to realize this woman uh, again. A hundred years of our time is one year <laughs> of her, and, and, and so so it, it's kind of like it's going to be a process. You know, it's not going to happen in one year, and we're going to is one and done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that that we're in a multi-decade change here, mm-hmm. and, and so, so so I never lose hope. Never lose hope. You know, I, I believe that there's something more going on here, and, and that if we start connecting with our inner awareness we'll just naturally go in the proper way we'll just naturally go that way
0: it's almost like the problems are maybe easier than what we think like uh, easier not in complexity but as in uh you don't have to be an expert you don't have to know everything to do in advance and instead uh, within us, seated within our soul, is the gift that is our contribution to the whole to bring the more beautiful world that we envision or hope for into existence. Sounds like she was saying something along those lines, that that seed has been replanted in us. Because if we look back at history, it looks absent sometimes. You look at the torture of wars and world wars and conquest, and you know it seems like anybody that, went into anyone's land that was already there it was just a battle between whoever was more powerful or more ruthless you know the vikings come to mind and maybe that seed that beauty of 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 a more loving compassionate way of being uh is is coming in and uh and maybe the the past uh can heal in some way in some mysterious way and maybe that's happening now as we're as we're listening as, as we're talking, we're listening to each other, and I'm listening to what comes out of my mouth. I don't have this planned. I don't have any notes in front of me. So uh, I'm sometimes surprised at what comes out of my own mouth. I'm like, oh, I didn't know I knew that. That's interesting.
1: <laughs> exactly. And, and, and I think that's what we're going to understand, that, uh, that that part of advancing is connecting with our inner knowing and, and And thinking that we're going to somehow somehow do it without connecting with that inner knowing um i I just think that that's we're going to learn that we have to connect with that inner knowing, so expanding our concept of self e- expanding kind of our concept of of reality i I think it's going to bring us there
0: I hope you're right, Robert well the it dogs. Like the dogs-
1: the dogs, the dogs are, are calling, calling us, us, to us to an, an end in that,
0: <laughs> that 90 minute point. Um, they, they seem to, in some ways, maybe that's their, they uh, they are in some ways, these animals are, are wiser than us human beings. And I think a lot of native traditional cultures would say that, you know, they would say, oh, you know, we're kind of the most ignorant and we learn from these totem animals that, you know, have taught us so much about how to be in the world. Uh, I, I thank you for your time, Robert. And I wanted to know if uh, there's anything you, final you wanted to share about how people can connect with you, because uh, you know many of my listeners maybe have never heard of your work and your magazine that you put out that's free and your wonderful book with amazing narration. One of one of my one of the most inspiring, insightful books that I've ever had the privilege to listen to twice, and bought a physical copy.
1: Yeah. So... Yeah, so so uh, you can learn more about my books at uh, my website, uh, lucid, lucid, l-u-c-i-d, lucidadvice.com. And also we have a free online magazine that my friend Lucy Gillis in Vancouver and I have been creating for 20 years, but it's all for free. You can check out past issues, and that's at dreaminglucid.com. And... Uh, but, but um, I do 30-day online workshops with GlideWing.com, and, and uh, I do various things. But anyway, the, the important thing is that people get in touch with themselves, and by getting in touch with themselves, they'll get in touch with their creativity and their own true inner power. And, and so, Zach, it's been a lot of fun ch- chatting with you, and uh, lucid wishes to everyone out there listening.
0: Thank you very much, Robert. Thank you so much for listening, and please follow us to hear future episodes where we discuss topics such as alternative states of consciousness achieved through dance, intention, and shamanic practices, sacred economics, dream work, trauma healing, building community, permaculture, healthy and compassionate living and eating practices, somatic and alternative healing modalities, politics, psychology, mythology, and more. Our work is focused on the liberation of spirit, a return to the sacred which is a constant collective inquiry, We aim both in person and on this podcast to plant and water the seeds of liberation from economic inequality, trauma, systemic conditioning, addiction, loss of soul, loss of meaning, hopelessness, helplessness, isolation, shame, nightmares, guilt, and a return to glimpses of your birthright, of dignity, joy, community, collaboration, equality, and constantly beautifying new world where you are not alone. And always, if you're ever in the Salt Lake City area, come join us for yoga, dance, or in the garden. A community of beautiful souls are here to welcome you. We gather in community Wednesday, 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. and Sunday, 11 to 3 p.m. And we have a vegan brunch or vegan dinner after every event. Our gatherings are all ages and are of no religious affiliation. We look forward to seeing you.